Podcast Time Out for Mental Health is where we speak to sports figures, mental health experts, and leadership gurus about their experiences as it relates to mental health issues associated with depression, masculinity, and suicide. These sensitive topics are often swept under the rug, as detailed in my upcoming book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun, a simple book for men about depression, masculinity, and suicide. Getting a handle on a man's masculinity will improve relationships, both personally and in the workplace. Everyone needs some support to ask for help when they feel off or a bit disoriented and foggy and don't know what is really going on with them. If they do not seek help, their behavior can turn dangerous, including alcoholism, drug and pill addiction, anger, fighting, violence, and in some cases, death by suicide. On Time Out for Mental Health, we want to uncover these issues so men and women can live a happy and healthy life, even though they do suffer from mental health issues. We are very fortunate to have our guest, Lauren Tarrant, with us today, all the way from Austin, Texas. Lauren has been a registered nurse for more than 30 years in mental health, home health, and hospice setting. She's a co-founder of a company called Well Beyond Care. Well Beyond Care is an online company that helps families find and manage affordable caregivers all over the country under the supervision of an experienced home health slash hospice nurse. The mission is to keep folks safely at home. That's where they want to be, even if their families have moved away. So let me ask you a question, Lauren. Is what you're doing now very different from your vision of your what you saw your life was going to be or what you wanted to do as a teenager? Well, very different because as a teenager, I did not know what I wanted to do when I grew up. I had no idea. Um, and I was really struggling at that time because I had a very dysfunctional family and I was trying to figure out, you know, what's normal and what isn't. And I was thinking about a story too, where I told, and sign of the times, they're different, where I said to my dad one day, cause he was a doc. And I said, you know what, maybe I should be a doctor. Maybe I could do something like that. And he said, Oh honey, you are so organized. You're so smart. You would be the best secretary. Women, <laughs> girls are not doctors. You are so awesome. And I thought about that for a long time. And I can remember when I got into nursing, it was like, everybody's all excited. You're going to be a nurse. Okay. Which is great. But I just wanted to share that story. Times are different now. <laughs> Yeah, anybody can be a doctor, anybody, who, whoever. Yeah, right, yeah, right. So can you share with us your story? How did you get here today? So I think if, you know, that's an interesting question. I think how did I get here today? I think probably we start talking about uh, stigma of mental health. So this is a little bit of my background, and it is that um, – I was raised in a very dysfunctional home, which many are. Um, when I was a kid, my natural mother, um, who did not raise me for all those years, she had many mental health issues. 
and it was a very unstable relationship with my dad. And so as a kid, um, my mother actually was or a schizoaffective, which is a form of schizophrenia, and an alcoholic and a drug addict. And, you know, back then, Valium was pretty normal, and that was expected, and alcohol. And then now let's put Demerol in there. And, you know, it's, it's a different way of living. So my childhood was different. And as I knew as a kid that it was different, and I told others, same as being a doctor, they all said, no, 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 don't talk like that. Your dad is so accomplished and such a smart, fine doctor. And, you know, we know you're, we've seen your mother and that, you know, there's no such thing as this craziness you're talking about or alcohol or drugs. And people don't get divorced. When I said, well, that's why they're getting divorced. Um, I had a nickname at the time from my neighbor, Story Lori, because I would tell, try and tell her things like, help, this is what's going on. And we didn't talk about it back then. And that's why I'm thankful to be on this program because it's the stigma. I've, I've grown up, I'm the daughter of a uh, you know, father who had depression and was diagnosed late in life, manic depression. My mother, as I say, was schizophrenic and had these drug issues and alcohol issues and whatever it took to calm her down from her demons or whatever you call that, right? And um, growing up, I, that's probably why I became a psych nurse because growing up, I had to rush in and I'm also a middle child, but I had to rush in and, and evaluate quickly what's going on, what do I need to do? And it was so scary. And as a kid, I just hid, I just ran and let everyone deal with it because I was not um, capable of making those decisions. And at that time, the stigma was you couldn't tell anybody about it. It just weren't allowed to talk about it. Okay. Yeah. And then... Tell me about how you uh, left your home and, and what was going on in school and all that. So in high school, I got myself into a lot of trouble and, you know, drugs and whatever it was in high school, I was hiding out more than rebelling because I think I was rebelling in myself, but I was kind of hiding out, I guess. And I got myself in trouble, overdosed, got myself in some real big trouble. And at that time, knew, or finally sunk in, I'm not okay. And I would tell my dad, who is this macho guy, and this is what we talk about a bit, and I would say, you know, I'm really in trouble. I, I'm really in trouble. And he'd say, no, no, you're not in trouble at all. You are perfect. You are a perfect. You're the one I don't worry about. I never worry about you. And look at you. And, I'm, and maybe that's his machismo. Maybe that's his proud parent. I, I don't know. I've been thinking about this the last couple, you know, the last day or so. Um, but what happened was it was so crazy at my house with my natural mother who ended up, um, long story short, she did not at, at 12 o'clock or 12 years old, I got to go to court and say she is unfit to be my guardian. And so at that time, she was no longer my guardian and my parents got divorced, and I had a new stepmother. And you would think that things were really good, but I was very afraid of what was going on and didn't have the, the 
and coping or the support around me to help me. And so um, I definitely, I, I uh, went to school and I went to, I moved out and went to school. And um, I'm going to say this and I, and it, this sounds crazy, but um, at 19, I had a bleeding ulcer, migraine headaches, um, high blood pressure, and um, I was bulimic for a couple years. And I knew that I was not okay. And I had been to um, my parents' psychiatrist as a kid and thought, well, that's crazy. Nope, not doing that or whatever that is. And I was even labeled in high school antisocial um, which is a stigma and ADD, ADHD and, and uh, uh, antisocial. And so anyway, so what happened was I was about 19 and I went to a counselor. Uh, she was a social worker. I will never forget her. And I said, you know, here's my story. Um, and I'm just suffering and it's coming out in headaches and in ulcers and I have all these issues. And, and she listened to me and she said, and this is the fastest cure ever. And she said to me, you know, it's okay to pick new role models and you're gonna need to pick some new role models. And that gave me the, the, the strength or the understanding that, you know what, that's not normal. I do not need that, that. And I'm okay and I'm intelligent and someone's actually listening to me because there's that stigma again where we don't listen to, or we didn't, and we're still not listening to people that have mental health issues, you know? Just like with women, no, there's nothing wrong with you. It's an anxiety. Back then it was, um, go ahead and take some Valium, but totally underestimated um, that there could be other issues or even mental health issues that could be treated. That was a very long way to get there, huh? Wasn't it? Well, no, I, I appreciate you sharing your story with us. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm on this path. And in my book, I, I speak a lot about the stigma of uh, depression and getting help. And, you know, there's 300 million people in the world who have depression, but only 150 million of those or half those people get help. Right. And, you know, all you have to do is, is ask, talk to your primary care physician and he'll, he or she will point you in the right direction and hopefully refer you to a, a trusted psychiatrist that can help you. And mm -hmm. even, even if you have depression, you can still live a happy and healthy life. And, and that's what I'm trying to communicate to people. Mm -hmm. they, don't have to, they don't have to suffer and, and uh, sweep it under the rug, you know? Right. It's okay to ask for help. You're not any, any different kind of person uh, as far as men are concerned. It, it doesn't affect your masculinity. And in fact, it, it's a step towards healthy masculinity mm -hmm. and having courage to go forward and, and do the tough things. So mm -hmm. I, pre I appreciate you sharing that personal story with us. Now you're in healthcare mm -hmm. and in medicine and health. And so what drives you to such a high level of excellence in this type of work that you're in right now? 
You know, that's a very good question. Um, you know, as I was talking about my dad, um, my dad was an entrepreneur and he, uh, I have some of that in me where if I see something that's a problem, I want to fix it and I want to figure out. And in that, there are a lot of people that say, oh, you can't do it. It's never been done before. And oh, you're crazy for thinking that. And I guess I grew up with that. People said that to my dad all the time. And for me, it is so God-led. And um, I, it seems like everything in my life, the craziness that I have been through in my life has all come together. And so with this, it just feels like, I don't know, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Whether it was managing my crazy family or pretending, you know, in my head, I was managing it. I was really managing my own, you know, my own brain, my own mental health. But from managing that to going into sales and customer service and all that. But as a nurse, um, I see people hurting all the time. And a lot of it are, it's family, they're family issues. So this is a beautiful ministry for me, Well Beyond Care, because I can get, first of all, I bring in nurses from all over the country that are home health or hospice nurses. They're used to crazy families and they're used to a lot of, it might be you know, drug abuse or whatever at the bedside. Um, and it's just a beautiful way to be able to extend um, my care for people that want to stay at home, even in, you know, sometimes it's crazy. And right now in the pandemic, you know, they're isolated. And so they're either isolated and they can't see their, their family or they're isolated with their family with all of these added pressures. Yeah. So it feels good to be able to do that. Well, I agree with you, but this must be pretty stressful and difficult work that you do. Do you ever get down on yourself and feel that the work at this level is just too challenging for you and you feel overwhelmed? Nope. <laughs> nope. 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 I, you know what? I, I just try and take in a deep breath and know that some days are really hard and the next day you get to start all over and do it again, maybe even a little bit better. But um, I, I, I guess I will say this, let's say this. Um, there are days when caregivers call and they're frustrated and there are, and so many before our site was updated, I would probably have 20 caregiver calls in a day that would be hollering at me that they couldn't you know, use the app. And what kind of crazy company they'd be yelling at me. And I think that it's because I'm so in tune to my mental health because it's been a practice forever. I know when I have to stop and to take in a deep breath and know I'm not at my best, I won't be my friendliest, just hold on for a minute until I can take that call. And I know when it's happening um, and that I, I guess I can feel the stress and I know, okay, slow it down, taking a deep breath. And I always, and I, and our company motto or mission or company motto is give love always. And when I feel like I'm about to, you know, uh, that's not giving love. And so I have to stop and like 
get some water, calm it down, whatever. But I guess I mentioned that because you know what? It leads into something that I don't know if you're gonna ask me, but it's just about identifying early that, I'm an old psych nurse, and identifying early that, you know what? I'm not as happy or there's something going on or I'm feeling a little bit anxious or whatever that is, identifying that so early and being able to say to someone, um, this, is a, this is an issue, I need to talk about it. Or uh, even further, um, even further in, in, in mental health disease of this is an issue, I feel it coming on. Didn't we have a contract that said whenever I had this, um, I know to go to this contract because I don't believe you now, but there's a signature on there. I must have signed it. And, and that's a concept that maybe we can talk about a little bit too, just making a contract. Well, what you describe is very healthy because um, catching yourself when your emotions and your feelings are kind of overwhelming you is, is very healthy so that you can, you know, stay in the moment and, mm -hmm and not future trip or, you know, get anxious and have it spill over into your work. So mm -hmm. uh, I commend you for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, go ahead, did you want to say something? No, 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 I'm listening. So let's look at your nuclear family while you were growing up as a kid. Where did you grow up? Outside of Detroit, well, when I was really little in Detroit, and then after that, suburbs of Detroit, Michigan. And Detroit was tough in those times. Oh, yeah, that's for yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and how would you characterize your father as a, as a man? Did you have a good relationship with him? Was he tough on you? Did he ever show you love or protection, discuss emotions and feelings? You know, it's really funny that you asked, that's such a good question, because my dad was a very complicated man, very, he was very bright, and came from an abusive family, um, household is what I understand, from his parents and sisters and everybody, it was very difficult, and my dad was very successful, even when I was really little, he was very successful as a physician, as an entrepreneur, and that's when I was little. And there were so many things that, um, you know, that he, uh, I don't, that he held in his, his esteem that I'm better than everyone, smarter than everyone, more manly than everyone, or whatever that is. You know, he always had to be dressed the best and have the best car and the best of everything. And that's a, that's a machismo kind of a thing. And he treated, you know, he was an obstetrician and, or gynecologist, obstetrician gynecologist. So he did love women, but he knew they were different, that they were on a different level. Although he fought for them. And that was, you know, in the story I said initially was, he said, oh, that's so silly being a doctor. You'd be a great secretary. You know, girls aren't doctors. <laughs> so I think at that time, you know, we're talking 50 years ago, right? That things are 40, 50, you know, things have changed a lot. But my dad um, had this facade of being, as lots of, you know, physicians or whoever do, 
um, that he was untouchable. You know, we could walk into a, um, you know, um, caucus club or wherever it was and like everybody on the, the seats, you know, was parted and he got the first table and the best and no one would ever confront him. And he had a lot of, I'm gonna say yes men. And that's the best way that I can say it. And thankfully I was on the good side of protection because as a kid, growing up in that part of the, you know, the uh, instability was that my dad was being successful and working very hard to, you know, be macho and prove it and everything is perfect. Just like he didn't worry about me because I was perfect. Hmm. When meanwhile, I've got a mother who's in and out of hospitals and then institutionalized schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder which has the ups and downs of a bipolar disorder. And, you know, um, on the one hand, my dad was trying to be tough and father, you know, like a good dad and protect us. And meanwhile, he had this other um, torture, terror going on that my family would say he, he instigated, you know, he poured gasoline on that as well. You know, so for me, I got the benefit of trying to protect me as much as he could until I was little. And then when I was a little bit older, he stopped protecting me. But I think it's when you get older, you you fight. You know, I was 13, 14, 16, 18, where I'm not doing what you're telling me what to do because I don't like that. It's hard to protect. You know, he wants to you know, show me off that, you know, we have, I have a nice car and this and that. And I was so rebellious of, sorry, I quit school or I cut school and I've got a full-time job and I should be in school and, oh, I'm getting into um, drugs and I'm doing whatever it was. Um, I never, I never knew it and never saw it till he was about 60. And he and I have made that relationship much better over you know, over life, although he passed away, but I can remember him, he was probably 60 and maybe even a little older and he cried and he said to me, I just didn't know how else to do it. And I tried to do the best that I could and I'm really sorry. And I had an ego and I had um, a lot of other agendas at the time. Closure is good. We don't always get that, but I think he explained his trying to protect, trying to protect his self-image. Times were different back then. And again, you know, no one would believe him if he said his wife needed psychiatric care. God forbid he's a man and would need psychiatric care. So that was something else that, that you couldn't deal with. In fact, my side, the, my mother's side of the family, we still have a strained relationship because we can't talk about mental health because I don't know why, I guess it's contagious. I don't know, we should treat it and take care of it. Yeah, yeah that's the sad thing. I mean, people can reach out and get help and all of this needs to be discussed. And that's one of my purposes in, in doing what I'm doing. So it sounds like, I mean, in a very difficult situation, it sounds like your dad really had an exercise, some healthy masculinity in taking care of you and protecting you and 
really in a, in a positive manner and, and sharing with you. Mm -hmm. He really tried, but back then, you know, um, addictions, you don't even realize. We didn't talk about it, but actually he had a food addiction. And I mean, I grew up like some others. I didn't, I didn't even know there was any other kind of ice cream but chocolate. Mm -hmm. I Me mean, too. <laughs> I, yeah, I thought that soda was chocolate and that donuts were chocolate. So anyway, I think, so he had an addiction for food. He also had an addiction for cigarettes mm. and he was angry and he was very, um, you know, when you're trying to control yourself and you're smiling, but you're gritting your teeth. That I think is something where, um, I think he tried to really be manly and tried to really do what he thought he was supposed to do as a man, not cater to your emotions. And I think, and it spilled out all over, whether it was in eating or smoking or, um, you know, anger this time in. So how did your childhood experiences influence your views about the stigma around mental health issues? Well, um, I think that it was easy when I got to, when I became a nurse and I was a nurse and very young, um, when I became a nurse, I knew that I had, I was able to understand mental health to the point of, it's not something that you punish and it's not something that can be hidden because it bleeds out all over the place. And I became a psych nurse. Actually, I was 19 the first time I worked on a psych unit. And I felt like I could, because of my past, I could protect others. And I knew how to de-escalate. I can de-escalate the finest. And so I think that as a kid, even though I hid a lot, I'm not the kind, you know, hit me with your best shot. I'm the kind of, nope, not doing that. See it, nope, that is not okay. And so I think as that really influenced me to go into psych nursing and brought into management and into now over 40 years of management and starting up companies, I use that all the time. I can feel you revving up and I can, uh, and I can usually spot you when you're escalating and if I have time, can I say a quick story Sure. about that? Because of my childhood, I, I have my radars up and I'm careful in relationships and in business relationships and in everything because I have lived it and I don't want to do that again. Nope, do, not doing that. Nope. So I was, I'm an, I, you know, I had a couple companies and I was presenting in Houston, Texas, and I, it was a Medicaid conference and I was on my game and everything was great. And this lady came up to me after and said, we, you know, I'm, we're starting a company in Austin and I think you'd be great. And I think you'd work well with, um, you know, the, the CEO at the time. And she said, I'd like you to consult, do some consulting. And maybe we could meet. I said, okay, well, that sounds great, you know. So she connected me with this gentleman, Jeffrey, and I had to meet him five times before I would agree to partner with him. And it's because of my past. 
And what had happened was, it seemed like a good idea, maybe too good to be true. Remember my, now, so my dad was an entrepreneur, but also with his mania, presented that so many things that were not true or that fell apart. So I grew up in that, I get that, okay? So I had to meet him so many times. And every time I met Jeffrey, he had long hair, he's an engineer, did a lot of work in Silicon Valley and you know, that type of cockiness, you know, like my dad, you know, but this guy's got long hair and he's cocky and smiling and excited and, oh, you're so wonderful, lovey-dovey, like pinching my cheeks, you know, whatever that is. And, oh, we're going to be great together. That's why I had to meet him five times. And on the fifth time, he said to me, I can't do this business without you and I want you to be my partner. You know, this is, this, you have a lot to add. Why won't you partner with me? And I said, because of my background, and um, I haven't told you, but you know, my mother had mental health, health issues. My father, um, you know, later in life, we found he was bipolar. Who knew? I just thought he had a temper or whatever that was. And he's always smiley and charming and adorable and all of this, and I'm not doing it. I can't do it. I've got to protect my mental health. I cannot do this. I've been I keep coming back because it's a great idea, but I'm scared of you, honestly. And he put his hands around my face and he said to me, sweetheart, wait till I tell you my story. I don't do evil. I don't do crazy. We would be a great team and you're going to have to just give me some time. Give me some trust. That is not me. I'm sorry about your childhood. Let me tell you my story. And he told me his story, which was as crazy as my story. And we've now, we had that company, we closed it down because people got a little crazy. Then we started a second one, we closed that down because a couple of us passed away, two out of four. And then we started again, and now we're in th three and a half years now. And, it's, and Jeffrey and I are together, we're co-founders we're the only employees and we're co-founders, but we have 20,000 caregivers across the country. And we are, in fact, this is my second blog talk this week. And we're just trying to um, help, see, help people who want to stay at home. And so that is something where I mentioned that because I love Jeffrey to death, but we understand, you know, and when he escalates and, and he's totally wonderful, but when he escalates, it makes me a little, you know, a little uncomfortable. And I have handled it with, okay, when you calm down, we will talk again. I will call you back or just call me back later. I know you're just blah, 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 you know, blah, 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 blah. And we work it out very well. But I think that's something that you, you started by asking me, how did this affect me? It has affected my whole life. And I'm, you know, getting into my 60s, you know? Great. Personally, I have severe depressive disorder that's reoccurring, which my doctor told me was the root of my addictive behavior, which, thank God, has been curtailed. I'm sure that the abuse that I grew up with within my family was involved with my condition. Was there any evidence of any kind of abuse in your family, physically, mentally, emotionally, verbally? 
Yeah, definitely. My, my father, I would say was extremely emotionally, emotionally abusive and it was difficult, but he was raised with parents that I'm sure taught him that. And he was emotionally terrorizing to me and terrorizing in that I couldn't count on him. Um, as you know, when I was older, he would say he was going to do one thing. For an example, sure, no problem. I'll give you $5,000 on Saturday to put that. That's the rest of the deposit for your home. And because I thought you were going to ask for more, that's nothing. And then when it comes Saturday, swearing and yelling and why would you do this? And that's crazy. And you're this and la, 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 la. So it was one of those where that's abusive in that you've said everything was great and then I get smacked so hard. And then as a young kid, um, I don't remember my mother being emotionally abusive, although it's hard be, you know, the, the physical abuse was her, whatever she had, it was a brush to my head or a bottle. Um, I can remember sitting at the table having a beautiful Chinese food dinner when she took the glass two liter bottle that we used to have and smashed it over my dad's head. Why? Because he said something she didn't like. So that's mental abuse for me as well, because I watched, you know, her being physical and then her being physical with the people I loved. And then as a little kid, I'm the one who has to call the police or, <clears throat> you know, EMS. Yeah, so yes, definitely. Well, this is this is a perfect picture of what happens when mental health issues go unchecked. Mm -hmm. um, alcoholism, drug addiction, pill addiction, stealing, fighting others, violence. And I mentioned this in my book. And again, it all comes back to the stigma that... <coughs> it's okay to ask for help and you know you're no less a person if you ask for that help as opposed to sweeping it under the covers and all of a sudden your behavior goes haywire and you're you're out of control so yep this is you know can i bring something up i'm sorry yeah. You know, it's really funny. Um, when I was younger and I worked on a psych unit, um, and that was in just outside of Detroit, Michigan, a real nice place in Gross Point, Michigan, a really nice place. And we had, they had just joined with Henry Ford Hospital. So you had grossy pointies and they were women with anxiety and those kind of alcohol issues. And then they had also, now we have murders and pimps and prostitutes and all these different, like, wow, nobody really knows what's, you know, really going on. And, you know, in, in learning about that and watching that, it's just a matter of, um, it's just a matter of <sighs> boundaries. And I'm so sorry that it takes so long for people to, um, it's almost like, you know, if you call and say, I'm in trouble or I need help, 
people don't believe you and and you, and you have to wait until it's a crisis. And I can remember at the time when I worked at this place and we were talking about, we talked about that all the time. And we couldn't even, as psych nurses, we couldn't even get people in the cafeteria to sit with us. It was like, it was contagious. It was like, well, they work on the psych unit. And in fact, my dad, who was a doctor, said to me, you can't work on a psych unit. What if like that happens to you? And it's like, what happens to me? wait a minute, it's already happened to me or whatever it is. It's not, you know, it's, it's not a sin. It's not contagious and it needs to be addressed. Yeah. But that's what I was just going to add is that people have the weirdest, I guess it's stigma. People have the weirdest thoughts about it and not just your family. I had other medical professionals that wouldn't even sit with us in the cafeteria. So when did you know, when did you know that you needed help? When I was 19 and that is when I got help and it honestly it changed my life for sure. Um I knew that um it was not normal to have migraine headaches, horrible, you know, migraine headaches, vomiting the whole bit, bleeding ulcer, I was bulimic. I've always been more introverted and um, and I guess I was feeling much shyer or, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I always want to be by myself, I guess I should say, in terms of being introverted. And, and I knew at that time that I was going to go into like, oops, I'm not going to get out at all. I'm just going to be right here. I'm just suffering over here. So I took, actually, I, I saw at Michigan State University, I saw this article and it was talking about treating headaches, this social worker. And I thought, what a good idea. I have those. And maybe she can point me in the right direction. And she changed my life for sure. Helping me find, no, it was okay to have different role models and know that, yeah, I guess that happened. Yep. Awesome. So now you have two children. Yes, I do. So how would you describe yourself as a parent? Easy, tough, lose your cool, yell and scream, show emotions, love. You know, um, I think be, I'm, I'm the lovey one and I will tell you why. I think because um, I didn't have a mother growing up. I really, I didn't. And I missed that. I missed it my whole life not having, I had a stepmother for lots of years. But I, when I had kids, um, I wanted to be the best mom that I could. And in fact, and I am divorced, but my ex-husband used to say, Laura, why would you explain that all day to them? Why would you explain that to them? Just tell them you're the boss. <laughs> and I would just say, because they're little people. And I, I don't know if it was because of my background because I was a psych nurse and I did adolescence and child psych for a long time, or if it was because I was a youth leader and, you know, my ex-husband was a pastor and a lawyer and I was a youth leader for years. <clears throat> so I don't know if that's where, somewhere I got that you love them through it. And I can remember you get a lot of flack. People want to tell you how to raise your kids. And um, I can remember them saying to me, my friends were 10 years younger than me and they'd be like, Laura, your kids are out of control, man. You got to do something about that. And you need to be meaner and firmer and whatever. And I'd say, I'm just going to talk with them about it. We'll figure it out. 
And flash forward, I have these lovey, smart, wonderful, thoughtful kids, responsible, intelligent kids. And now my friend's 10 years younger than me. Now they're dealing with, oh yeah, well now they're, whether it's, you know, cutting classes or whatever it is, we all go through that, you know? Yep. Yeah. And so I think you just have to love them through is the best that I know how to do. Yep. So tell our audience what you have learned from your experience with mental health, depression, all of those issues. I think one thing, probably the, the best thing in my head, and thankfully I've had closure and all of that. Um, I think the best thing that I have learned is that, and it has to do with stigma, I guess, is that you can't resent your parents and be mad at them or your friends or your sisters or whoever. You've got to come to the point where you realize they were doing the best that they could and they didn't have the tools and they didn't have somebody, you know, to talk what sometimes it could be they didn't know who to talk to or they got bad advice or the stigma said don't talk or no one believes it or whatever it is. Um, I think what I have learned is that and I've never resented it. And I think what I've learned is life can be really, really, really tough. Um, and when you need help, you need help. I'm thankful. I haven't, you know, I needed help when I was 19 and I would go to counseling again and, and thought about it for at different times in my life. Thankfully I have great coping strategies. You know, I, I, play instruments all the time. I'm a runner. I do whatever, you know, but I think that's the biggest thing that I have learned is that um, if they could fix it, they would. There is treatment that needs to be accessible. And if we're not going to start talking about it in terms of changing the stigma, this will go on and on. And I can only do my part in you know, when I listen to my friends talk about their kids that are anxious or, you know, angry or, you know, whatever that is, you know, my radar goes up. Yep. That's not a little problem. That is something that you need to take seriously. So I hope that that's, I hope that's helpful. Great. So one last question. Um, you've had experiences with your father with your ex-husband, how would you describe masculinity or healthy masculinity? Well, I was telling someone the other day, boys are just like girls. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Healthy masculinity to me is that you're not too macho to say, I don't feel so good today, or I'm worried about this, or, um, I'm starving, but I just don't feel like making it. I mean, I feel like, um, and in the relationships that I have, it's so crucial to me that I am with people that can communicate. If you cannot communicate, that is a problem, right? <sighs> yeah. Well, 
as you can see, Lauren's story is quite remarkable. She's a very brave woman of courage and giving to her community, a true role model for our world today. We're honored to have you on our podcast today. Do you have any final thoughts? I guess um, my final thought is this, because I hope to be helpful to the people that listen to your program. Um, you know, whether you're a man or a woman, you have feelings and it's not, you know, just you gonna, just like when you're, uh, just like in every day, like for me as a, uh, a, a, an executive, whatever I can say, is that if it's overwhelming or you have these feelings, the best thing I think you can do is, you know, understand that those are feelings and you can't keep them in and who is the right person to talk with about and, and talk with someone. Sometimes you can't talk with your friends because you're going to wear them out and, and they're not skilled at that, you know, but I think I, that's where I am at. I think we just need to talk about it. And I think we need to put away the stigma and, you know, and fine. Well, let me say one more thing. And that is, I, I mentioned, and I, I mentioned it because my mother had extreme mental health issues where she did, she did not believe when she was in her depression or, or drugs or whatever, she did not believe anything that anyone else said. Mm. So in my head, I always say in terms of yes, get help early, but also I like that contract thing. And maybe because I'm an old psych nurse too, a contract is that you sign saying, if I feel uncomfortable or I get, I feel like I'm getting out of control, I know I can trust you and I know I can ask you and you will help me with my medications or take me to the doctor or take me to the emergency room. And without that contract, sometimes when you're losing touch with reality for whatever reason, you don't want to trust anyone else. You don't want to believe anyone. But when you see it in your writing, it's easier to believe that when somebody says, but you're not okay right now. You're not thinking straight right now. When you were, this is what you wanted. I will go with you. Let me go with you. I will help you. Need to, yeah. Well, Lauren, I look forward to continue, continuing our dialogue moving forward so I can learn from from you so I can help others. Thanks again. Thank you. Please look out for our podcast, Time Out for Mental Health, wherever you get your podcasts. And keep your eyes out for my upcoming book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun, a simple book for men about depression, masculinity, and suicide. Please contact me for speaking engagements and personal relationship coaching or executive coaching through my website, timcrass.com. And don't forget to have fun, everyone. You can contact Lauren at her website, www.wellbeyondcare.com. That's wellbeyondcare, all one word, dot com. Or email Lauren at wellbeyondcare.com. Or if you want to call her directly, area code 512-809-4057. And that's a wrap. Thank you.